It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. You know, I, I don't hold a hose, mate, and I, I don't give you control. They're answers that only can come from Victoria, I'm afraid, because that's not my job. But I ain't spending any time now, because in the meantime, every three months, I... Person was torn to pieces by a crocodile in North Queensland. Well, good day, well, and welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, to the Two Jacks, uh, where we discuss all matters uh, international and local in Australia, um, politics, media, etc. And joining me, as usual, is Hong Kong Jack, all the way in Hong Kong. You've been hit by another typhoon. Jack? Another, and another black rain. Lots of talk about whether this is extreme weather events and all that sort of stuff. But what really is different is how close they get to Hong Kong, whether we get a direct hit or a near hit. There's always plenty of typhoons, but as long as they stay away, it's okay. As long as I don't give you the direct hit where you get the uh, that moment, that half an hour or so of of uh, silence. And you go, oh, yeah, it must be better now. We'll go outside. But uh, that's yeah. actually the wrong thing to do. Um, yeah, look, so, so, so Friday was going to miss us by a long way. It just took a right-hand turn and swerved towards us. Uh, where did it hit, Where did it make landfall, Jack? Do you know? Oh, right, look, it, 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 it skirted the edges of Hong Kong and we got the, the rain bands, so um, uh, windy and very, very wet. Another um, uh, 400 millimetres in a couple of days. All right. Now, we must go straight to Israel. Uh uh, the events over the weekend, a Hamas-led strike deep into Israeli uh, sovereign territory, hostages taken, civilians massacred, um, uh, missiles fired over the border, an extraordinary uh, assault uh, on the nation of Israel, Jack. Um, firstly, can I just ask you what you think? I mean, Mossad is always regarded itself as being, um, you know, well ahead of these things. This, this would seem to me to be a sort of catastrophic failure of intelligence, firstly, isn't it, to have no idea that this was coming. Uh, not just um, self-regarded as, uh, as one of the, the, the best, if not the best intelligence um, organisation in the world, but more generally by other countries regarded as that. Um, but this is a, a monumental um, intelligence failure. Yes, um, and, and let me just say that there's been a number of uh, shifts between the, uh, the, the political administration led by Netanyahu's government and, 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 some, um, and, and some former Mossad officers who have uh, come out and been very outspoken about, uh, uh, about Netanyahu. Uh, and maybe that is one of those reasons, Jack, one of the reasons for this intelligence failure. Um, what we do have is certainly we know the Iranians... Were involved in the planning, Hamas involved in the planning, uh, Hezbollah involved in the planning. That all takes us back to uh, to Iran, um, <coughs> and uh, and we, now we've got a situation where Hamas is threatening to broadcast the execution of hostages. Jack, some hundred and thirty odd hostages have been taken uh, and are uh, uh, somewhere in Gaza. What does uh, what does Israel do? How does Netanyahu respond? Uh, well, I, I think they've made it plain that they intend to um, go into Gaza and, and have a, a, a form of land war in Gaza, 
uh, in an attempt to take out the Hamas leadership. So um, the question is whether um, that's a good idea. Um, there's a, a reasonable body of opinion now that says that that's what Hamas wants, that um, uh, they think they can uh, fight Israel to a standstill um, in the way that Hezbollah did in, um, in Lebanon in 2006. Um, and that the uh, military landscape has changed with the uh, uh, the new equipment to take out tanks, etc., that were so effective in Ukraine, that perhaps they can um, fight Israel to a standstill in Gaza. Well, we know from the Ukraine that um, that Russia is using a lot of Iranian-built um, drones. Uh, so mm. Iran is sort of perhaps not world-leading, but certainly in the top five or six nations in terms of the military use of drones. So presumably they would be available to them, but uh, to Hamas in Gaza. Um, but also um, you would imagine that, uh, that the uh, Israeli Defence Forces um, will have the upper hand in terms of technology, um, but when you get into a ground war, uh, that technological advantage dissipates. It does a bit, particularly ground war in in uh, in what's effectively a, a series uh, urban, of yeah, towns uh, and uh, towns and cities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I sometimes think that not a lot of people understand what is, you know, the sort of geopolitics of Israel and around Israel. Um, but the uh, three disputed territories, and perhaps that's not the right term, you, you, you firstly have Gaza Strip, um, uh, then you have uh, the West Bank, uh, which is a large tract of land in uh, eastern Israel, and then you have the Golan Heights uh, and these sort of disputed territories. These are these are territories that that were taken over war uh, during uh, various conflicts um, <coughs> between uh, the uh, Israeli and Arab uh, world, pretty much uh, since uh, the nineteen fifties. Uh, since, uh, since 1967, precisely, the, the, the Six-Day War was when um, Israel um, uh, uh, took the West Bank of the Jordan, um, uh, the Golan Heights, and the Gaza Strip. That's and right. Indeed, indeed, indeed and they took all of took all of Sinai. Um, took all of Sinai, and that's since been relinquished to um, uh, to the Egyptians in, 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 in a peace deal with the Egyptians. Peace yes. deal, yes. And and this has probably a, a little bit of a. Um, um, a, a, a view of uh, or, or a similarity to uh, the Yom Kippur War, which was a short uh, conflict between uh, Israel and I think Jordan uh, and Lebanon, uh, where there was a surprise attack that, uh, that, that caught the Israelis off guard. Um, but this is really horrendous stuff, Jack. Um, um, the business of taking hostages is appalling at the best of times. Um, but also civilians being massacred. Um, I don't know if you saw the footage of, uh, of uh, Hamas troops arriving by um, sort of um, those, uh, those uh, single-engine helicopters and going over, the, um, going over the border that way and then arriving and this is sort of um, marauding through the streets, dragging corpses out onto the street as trophies. Really appalling stuff, Jack. Um, attacking a peace music festival that was um, a, yes. a position close to the Gaza border. 
and many hostages uh, taken from that. There was a story, of course, of uh, of uh, the young uh, young woman who uh, 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 sent a uh, FaceTime to her father, saying she was in uh, she was in distress. Oh, it might have been a text. Uh, she was in great distress. Um, she said she was safe at the time. He jumped in the car, drove the four hours from Tel Aviv. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, to southern Israel, and, and, uh, and by the time he got there, his daughter was missing, um, and presumably has either been killed or has been taken hostage. How seriously should we regard the threat of Hamas executing people on camera? Um, well, very seriously, I would think. Hmm. I mean, it would seem to me to be a retrograde step. Um, uh, for anyone who is thinking of supporting um, the Palestinian cause, that would uh, uh, that would uh, sort of uh, very much uh, be off-putting. I would think certainly it would be for me. Um, I take the same view as I did when the Russians invaded Ukraine, Jack. Um, you've got an invading force that's running around killing innocent civilians, and they should be condemned for that. Um, I'm not sure, well, put it this way, um, what they've done so far, Hamas, has been fairly horrendous, um, and yet their support in much of the Western world, including in Sydney, um, uh, seems to remain pretty strong. Yeah, we'll get so, to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute, and there's much to, much to discuss there. Uh, firstly, we just want to get on the record. Uh, our foreign minister, Penny Wong, has uh, come out with a statement saying Australia unequivocally condemns the attacks on Israel by Hamas, including indiscriminate rocket fire on cities and civilians. We call for these attacks to stop and recognise Israel's right to defend itself. Australia urges the exercise of restraint and protection of civilian lives. Uh, and that didn't go all over all that well with some on the left anyway, Jack. Uh, no. You know, the left used to be pro-Israel um, um, a long time ago. Um, you know, uh, British Labor uh, MPs used to send their children to summer on the on a kibbutz in um, in Israel, but that's long since turned around. Um, yeah, um, and the involvement of Iran, as we said before, I mean, uh, Hamas has made it very, very clear. But the Americans seem to be a little bit confused about it, or the Biden administration seem to be very confused about it, Jack. Uh, they do. Yes. Um, 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 is, is that because they're just treading carefully here? Well, um, I think they're a little bit embarrassed because they've just done a deal with Iran um, uh, where they've um, released about $6 billion in funds, I think, I think were held mainly in South Korea, um, this, this, that relate to the sanctions against Iran. Yes. Uh, and they've released um, access to those funds um, uh, and they're embarrassed that so soon after that release, uh, Iran is meddling in a in a in a pretty dreadful way in um, uh, in the Middle East. Where does this leave the um, the 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 peace between the Emirates and Israel, and I guess by extension uh, a prospective peace between the Saudis and the Israelis, Jack? Uh, well, the Abraham Accords, as they're known, um, uh, have been a, a success to date. Um, the level of contact between um, uh, the Israelis and the, and the Gulf states has been very good. Um, lots of business, um, uh, tourism, um, uh, all sorts of stuff. You know, the opening of kosher restaurants in, uh, uh, in the Gulf states is... Do you have a look at any uh, Emirate, Emirate news, for example, over the last couple of days? 
Uh, no. I, I did, and yeah. there's not a mention of it. There's yeah. not a mention of the conflict um, and, at all. And beyond the Gulf states, that talks have been proceeding with Saudi Arabia um, to um, complete a, um, a peace agreement. Now, whether that whether this will um, derail those, I don't know. Um, uh, one of the things that people misunderstand, I think, about the Middle East is uh, assuming that the Arab world generally supports the Palestinians, and that's not really the case. Um, the reason the Abraham Accords were possible is that um, a good deal of the Arab world um, uh, thinks that the Palestinians um, are the author of a fair bit of their own misfortune um, uh, and, um, and, and treat them accordingly. Well, yeah, we might say that of the Gulf states, but uh, just looking at their media coverage or their lack, the lack thereof, it would seem to me um, that the one thing the Emirates are doing, and the Saudis too, by the way, is trying to ignore this because their, their populations, their civilians, uh, may not be all that keen to, for, um, to see their, their states um, support, uh, support Israel. Yeah, um, that, that's true. Um, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a distinction between... Um, uh, there's a, a difference of opinion, say, between the leadership and um, a, a fair bit of the people on that. Um, but look, you know, um, if you go back through history, the last 25 years, there have been applications for asylum from Palestinians who live in elsewhere in the Middle East, in Arab countries. Um, and they're, they're generally um, a good chance of success because they do persecute the uh, the Palestinians there because they just don't like them and because they don't trust them and they think they're the author of a good deal of their own misfortune. All right. Well, um, uh, we'll move to the Australian response in a moment, but what is the prospect of a larger conflagration here uh, that might pit uh, the Saudis uh, against um against the Iranians, the, the, the great holy war that's long been on the cards? Um, well, there's got to be some possibility that uh, the Israelis um, uh, uh, will take some action against the Iranians. Uh, and where that leads is a little uncertain. The, the Israelis are normally clever enough to do that in a way that um, doesn't lead to a wider conflagration, but they... That, there's every chance that they may take some action against Iran, I would have thought. Well, certainly Netanyahu's um, um, uh, comments would indicate um, that um, they, uh, well, he said he, he has said today that they're going to throw everything at Gaza um, yeah. in, in, a, in, a, um, in a military response uh, the like of which the area has never seen, and it's seen plenty of conflict. Um, so... What happens to them? Well, we, we also know that uh, food and water and the internet and electricity has all been cut off to Gaza. Be a very, very frightening time to be there, whether you were actually a hostage or just a civilian in, in Gaza. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we, when you send an invading force across the border um, to a much stronger neighbour, um, this is what you're going to get back. Yeah, okay. So, so um, I, I did enjoy this from Martin Pakula, who's a former minister in the Andrews government. Um, I think he was uh, Attorney General there for a while and, and also Minister for Sport, Gaming, Racing, etc. And importantly, Racing. That was his longest ministership. 
Yeah, enjoyed that. Uh, Martin Bakula came out on Twitter, I think it was, and said, all the pretend progressives, in parentheses, you're not out there celebrating slash defending Hamas murder, uh, uh, murders and kidnappings. This is who you're really barracking for. The Iranian ayatollahs and generals who murder their own women and girls, their own trade unionists, their own protesters. That's pretty stark. I, I can't find any disagreement with that with that statement. You know, if you are coming out in support, I understand people may want to support the Palestinian cause, but if you come out celebrating Hamas's attack on on Israel, that's essentially what you're doing. Um, you are being a, a, a cheer squad uh, for a ruthless, awful regime, one of the worst regimes on earth. Mm. Yeah, well, I didn't disagree with Martin at all, no. Yeah, uh, no, I thought it was a good comment. And and so ne- then we get to the response. Um, there was a rally uh, uh, in Sydney beside the Opera House. Flares were, were let off around about a 1,000 protesters. Uh, fairly ugly image of New South Wales police arresting a man holding an Israeli flag. They explained themselves afterwards that they arrested him for his own benefit to keep him out of harm's way. Uh, And there's been a great deal of criticism of uh, the police minister in New South Wales as well as the Premier. What could they have done, Jack? Um, Without being there, it's really hard. This is an operational decision in the sense of, okay, what's the way that we can um, uh, cause the least harm? Right. Reduce the risk. Yeah, and, and, and that's hard to know unless you're there and see what they can see. <clears throat> but you would have liked to have thought they could mm. say, well, look, you're just not going to be able to march to the Opera House. And it, the reason for the march to the Opera House was, like a lot of buildings around the world, the Opera House was going to be lit up um, in well, the was, colours yeah. of the Israeli flag. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, um, and, yeah, go on. And, and how you... Manage that's a really difficult one, but it just looks awful. It looks like they were um, uh, keen to let the the pro-Palestinian protesters do what they like and just keep the smaller number of um, Jewish people away. Um, that's those are the optics of it. There's no doubt about that. I'm not quite sure what what um, uh, what banning uh, the rally from taking place or banning its uh, its end point at the Opera House or its starting point. Um, I think a town hall. I, I, I'm not quite sure how you go or get about doing that. You are dealing with a mass of people, and I was uh, perhaps looking on the bright side when we just saw a thousand a thousand protesters. I thought those numbers weren't too bad, but there was some horrific chants. Um, They're straight out anti-Semitism um, and a pretty pretty appalling behaviour from that group. Um, but but I think if you say, well, you can't march, you're probably going to get more people along, aren't you? You might. Um, and this is not an Australia-specific thing. I've seen the footage from uh, London, from Birmingham, from New York, um, uh, all around the world. Yes. And in fact, uh, Anthony Albanese addressed uh, the issue of anti-Semitism and the rise of it. It's never far away, Jack. Never far away from, from the, the lunatic left and the right fringe. Um, 
and they can babble about whatever they like about, you know, anti-vaccines and the freedom movement and all of them. But sooner or later, you peel away enough of that onion and you're, you're looking at sort of naked anti-Semitism from both groups. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit of a free speech ab- absolutist and um, not quite absolutist, but pretty close. And, and I think they should, they're well entitled to protest and say what they I like. Agree. I agree. Uh, um, uh, but I think you crossed the line when um, there was reports of a chant saying gas the Jews. Now, that's clearly an incitement to violence and that crosses the free speech line in my view. But once you've got that thousand group of people, it's going to take 10,000 coppers to stop them. Well, yeah. let's say two or 3,000 coppers to stop them. And, 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 and yeah, that, that, that's when you've got a situation that, uh, that, that can very, very quickly get out of control. Um, I mean, generally speaking, I think we, we, we should allow these kind of protests yes. um, because, because it shows the wider population just how terrible these people are. Well, there's that. But I mean, but there are, as you say, those free speech, freedom of movement type issues uh, where people can get out and protest. You don't have to agree with them, but they should have that right to express themselves politically in, in this country. Yeah, um, I agree. I'm not sure what benefit banning that rally would have done. I mean, you're dealing with essentially a mob, and um, and if you tell them not to do things, then they're going to go and go ahead and do them, and perhaps do them in bigger number. Um, uh, we're going to have to wait and see. This Netanyahu has indicated this will take a long time. So this is not going to be like the Yom Kippur War, where um, where it was all sort of done and dusted uh, after about a week. I suspect this will be going for for, for weeks and months, Jack. Yeah, they will. I should imagine they will uh, plan this to the inch. Um, uh, and and go in and do it carefully and in a considered fashion, because that's you know they're a, they're a very very competent military force. Yes, um, uh, but you do have that prospect that once you get into um, Gaza itself on the ground, troops on the ground, boots on the ground, then there is that prospect of a uh, shall we say a, 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 a quagmire uh, occurring in very very difficult circumstances for any troop for any soldiers. Yeah, I, I don't think that's probable. I think it's possible. Um, uh, the, the Israelis know that they're fighting for their survival um, uh, and, and that's a tremendously good motivating factor. What about Hamas, Jack? I mean, look, uh, it, 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 uh, is Israel's uh, intention to, to destroy their influence in Gaza... How do they go about that? I mean, aren't we just uh, basically, no matter how long and how intense that response from Israel is, we're just looking at yet again another generation of people who despise one another across the borders. Well, um, uh, Hamas rules Gaza with a with an iron fist. Um, uh, it tolerates no dissent. Um, no one really knows for sure. I don't think just how much support they've got. And of course, there are no moderates left on either side, are there? There are there are there are there are, there are no moderate voices really in um, uh, in the Knesset who are you know worth a damn anyway. You've got Netanyahu in a coalition of ultra nationalists and um, uh, <coughs> and uh, orthodox extremists as well. 
Um, and, and and when you look across into Gaza or indeed into the West Bank or indeed into the Golan Heights, you're looking at a whole bunch of extremists on the other side too. I mean, it, it's intractable, isn't it? This is just well, a conflict. In, within the Knesset, within Israeli politics, there's a wide range of views. There's no shortage of moderates, but except on one issue, they, they understand that they the survival of their country is always at risk, and on that they are united. On almost nothing else are they united, but on that they are united. So where does it end, Jack? How does um, it end? I, I should, uh, should, should think in a pretty bloody and awful um, uh, conflict in awful. Gaza. Yes, it's going to be absolutely awful. And, and, and from, from the moment the, from, from the, moment the um, uh, Hamas people crossed the border that was, and, and started massacring people, that's where it had to end. Yeah, that's right. That, 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 that's exactly right. Once you do something like that, uh, you have to understand the response is going to be protracted and bloody. And, yeah, and, uh, and perhaps they have made a calculated judgment, as I said earlier, that that they can contain that war in Gaza. But I don't think so. Just before we before we leave Israel, um, one of the things that I kind of find a little bit disturbing is the um, is the uh, lighting of the prominent buildings all around the world in the. Um, in the colours of the Israeli flag, because it just takes me back to the whole Je suis Charlie um, uh, thing. Um, it, you know, this is going to last about a week, um, uh, the support for Israel. You know. Well, I think that's what Jared Baker was saying in The Australian Today, that sort of sentiment. I don't, find, I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. Um, no, 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 it's fine, but but we, it just screams to me of of um, of sort of hypocrisy. Um, and we know that people who are doing this, it doesn't cost them anything. It takes no courage to do it. Uh, what's going to take some courage is sticking with Israel um, and continuing to support Israel when it gets hard. Uh, when it gets hard is when civilians are dying in significant yep. number in in Gaza. That's that's when it gets hard. And, yes, and that's when it that's that's when you you expect to see some um, some open end more open ended remarks. Perhaps um, it, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. That's the um, that's the very strong likelihood that there'll be many many thousands of people in Gaza who will who will die because of this. Uh, and didn't have to die. And if it wasn't for Hamas leaping over the border and dragging um, uh, civilians out of their homes and, and killing them, uh, they would not be in the they would not be in the situation they find themselves in now. Yeah, well, we wouldn't tolerate that sort of invasion uh, of, of the countries we live in, um, and you can't expect the Israelis to. And they know the difficult situation they're in. They know they're battling for their own survival at all times. Um, and they will behave as you would expect. Well, again, uh, we get to that point, Jack, of um, of Hamas and what what exactly they're up to. Are they just chaos merchants, or do they have a strategy? Well, that's what I'm saying. It may be, and there's been some suggestions that between Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas, they have a strategy that they think they can contain the war in Gaza. Um, uh, and that would suit Iran. It might. Um, Iran doesn't want the peace deal between Saud, the Saudis and Israel. They might think they can scuttle that. Um, uh, there could be a strategy or it could just be that they're trying for a, a chaos agent um, approach, as you say. I mean, generally speaking, I take the side of the liberal democratic country and these kind of things. That's just my general approach. Um, 
there were uh, uh, reports of attacks from the Golan Heights, uh, from Lebanon, that would uh, uh, that would indicate the uh, the involvement of Hezbollah, um, and as yet a sort of eerie peace around the West Bank, Jack. Yeah. Well, well of course, that's, that's um, uh, the, the West Bank is still nominally run by the PLO rather than Hamas, although um, I, I think uh, Abbas was uh, elected for the first uh, uh, four-year term uh, about 20 years ago and hasn't had an election since because mm. he's not sure whether we, he could defeat Hamas even in the West Bank. And of course, we have to acknowledge it, but the the treaties uh, have been routinely um, uh, usurped by the Israelis, building their um, building their uh, um, uh, building their settlements in um, in occupied territory, Jack. Yeah, uh, but that's not. I, I don't see that as a motive here, um, I, I, because that's been going on for a very very long time. Um, but. Uh, and, we'll, and as far as Gaza is concerned, the Israelis evacuated from Gaza. You know, it's a long time ago now. I can't remember which which year it was. Yeah, yeah well, they're, they're, you're saying there are no Israelis there. Well, there are there are there are perhaps as many as 160 there at the moment, but they're there under duress. Um, yeah. Very very ugly scenes. Uh, we know how quickly the Middle East can kick off. Um, yeah. Uh, just, just one thing that's often said about Israel, um, it's described as an apartheid state, um, and, uh, and Bob Carr does this, um, and, and I think that's nonsense because, I mean, Israel has Arab members of the Knesset, their parliament, it has Arab judges. Um, uh, this is nothing like South Africa in the 70s and 80s. You know? Yeah, it's a much, much uh, overused term, apartheid. Um, uh, and, uh, um, and, and really undermines, uh, what was going on in South, what was going on in South Africa for many, many years. Uh, yes. The absolute disgusting, um, exploitation, manipulation of, uh, of the, of the majority black, black population there. Now you've got a correction to make, Jack, when we, when we get to Australia, we're, we're going there now. You got a correction to make. I do, a, I do. It's only a minor uh, piece of trivia, really. Yeah, but I, I, I said that um, there'd only been one Prime Minister who'd come from the Senate and he had, uh, uh, was Harold Holt, uh, when Harold Holt died and it was John Gorton and he had taken uh, the seat of Kuyong and that was wrong because I should have remembered that the cult from Kuyong, as he was known, Andrew Peacock, was um, uh, the member for Kuyong uh, and I think... Um, Gorton went into Holtzall's seat, which was Higgins. Uh, right, yes, there you go. So, um, yes, look, I couldn't. I'm going back, a, going back a fair way from for me, but um, I couldn't remember anyone um, um, uh, being elected uh, prime minister from the Senate. Although Gorton obviously came very close, needed a needed a by election to get him up. Or did, did he was actually serve, well, he was actually sworn in at, while he was a senator? Yeah, he was still he was still a senator when he was sworn in. Okay, well yeah. that uh, well that we 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 raised all that in regard to uh, the sort of uh, uh, quite uh, quite crazed murmurings about Jacinda Bryce becoming the next prime minister of Australia. So I think it was Andrew Peacock. I quite liked. <laughs> Um, uh, and um, it's, a, it's a favourite story I have of Andrew. Uh, remember Sean Dorney, um, the um, 
the ABC correspondent in the Pacific. And Impress, the yeah, one, one of the great, one of the, one of our great correspondents. Yes, in, I, I in, think in he's still with us. But yeah, quite ill. Um, he was um, a bit of a rugby league player. Um, uh, was Sean um, uh, um, uh, played halfback and captain um, uh, the New Guinea team uh, in rugby match. league, mm-hmm. and um, uh, he was with. Andrew Peacock, and they were doing a tour up in the highlands and the plain lands, and Andrew is delighted because there's hundreds and hundreds of people there cheering um, uh, as he comes off the plane. And what he doesn't realise is they're there cheering Sean Dorney um, uh, uh, <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather than himself. Mm. Uh, he also said uh, his biggest defeat was... Uh, when Leilani was uh, beaten by Think, Think Big in 1974, didn't dwell on the politics. He went straight for the races. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I can tell you, I, I met him um, for the first time about 15 years after that um, with a mate and we were talking racing. It was the first thing Andrew brought up, um, that Leilani. And not only did, it, did, did she not win, but that bloody Peter Cook, the jockey, he went, he went far too early and cost oh, yeah. them the race. No, always vague, <laughs> always vague a little like on top, don't you? Yeah, when, yeah, when things uh, don't quite pan out, didn't hit uh, it hard uh, enough. And, and um, you've got to say, fit out too early. 15 years later, he was still cranky about still, it. <laughs> still annoyed about it, yeah. Um, all right, now uh, moving on uh, Moving on to The Voice, more polling uh, suggesting uh, the uh, yes vote is uh, in uh, a, a good deal of trouble. Um, I think uh, it was News Poll 38.53, I think that's it, the yes vote yeah, 38. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it might get to 40, but it's not going to get any closer than that, I don't think. Um, yeah, look, um, that's uh, that's uh, that uh, seems to be the sort of trend. Um, but there's some sort of more more um, more breakdowns on that um, uh, when we look at the inner metropolitan dwellers. Uh, it's forty eight forty one, not quite a majority there for the S vote. Forty eight fifty one, outer metropolitan is thirty one fifty eight, provincial, uh, or I guess that's regional. I don't know why they call it provincial, but regional 40 to 56, rural 34, 60. In the age group, uh, age groups, we've got the 18 to 24s, known uh, as Gen Z, at 58, 34, 25 to 34, which is getting into the uh, getting into millennial territory. But that's uh, there's there's more than that into the next demographic. They're 51, 40, 35 to 49 year olds. Again. Uh, Fair smattering of millennials in there, 46 to 41. And then when we get to the old folk, 50 to 64, it's 25 to 68. And 65 plus is 24 to 68. Um, so you and, really and do it, have, uh, you know, a, a, a very strong, not so much a geographical, but the age demographic is um, is really significant. I think there's going to be consequences for this um, going the, forward. The news- the news poll had uh, no in front in every demographic. Okay, um, so so uh, there's a bit a bit of I, variation. I didn't see. The, yeah, I didn't do the I didn't do the extension on that. But this is this is something that uh, that Coz has been talking about for a while. That you do have this sort of eighteen to almost forty. That's that's almost at majority. I think the eighteen to forty says a group in uh, in. Uh, Coz's poll is around forty-eight, something like forty-eight to to uh, to forty-two, something of that order. 
Um, so there is a bit of a breakdown there. I did see too, Jack, and, and this is not related to the voice so much, but anyone who thinks that Labor's in trouble over that uh, really hasn't had a good look at Coz's latest political polling, um, which shows uh, which shows Labor's vote increasing, um, the Libs going backwards. In fact, their primary vote on that poll, Jack, is, is 31%, the Libs. Um and uh, and and Albanese's approval rating has gone up. Just uh, yeah, uh, and I think Newspol has that going slightly the other way, but not much difference. No, th- th- this isn't changing, and I, and I've said this all along. This has got not much to do with party politics. I mean, the the, the thing that st- stood out for me was on the uh, and all of the polls. YouGov, Newspol, and Cosmaris's Red Redbridge Group are all saying this. That amongst Labor voters, there's at least forty percent who are going to vote no. Yeah, yeah, I have seen that too. So yes, it is you know crossing, uh, crossing the normal political boundaries that we see in elections. Um, uh, look, we've still got a week to vote, uh, and uh, um, we'll be getting the results, and we'll cover that next week. Just what those actual results are. Is there a, a somewhat um, you know a, an outside chance for for the yes vote, I would say not um, on the balance of polling. But it's more than that. There, there just seems to be a, a great um, uh, a great shift against against this. I'm not quite sure where it leaves us with reconciliation uh, with Indigenous Australians going forward. I think it'll be a day of great sorrow on the 15th um, and, uh, and p- political leadership will be required to, to start restoring... Um, uh, that trust with Indigenous Australians, eighty uh, percent we are told uh, will or have um, uh, voted uh, yes. Um, so we got some problems there, um, Jack. I did. I, I have to tell you, did, or I have to ask you, did you see Robert French, former Chief Justice of the High Court's um, address to the uh, the press club last week? Uh, no, I read reports of it, but I, I didn't, didn't get a chance to say it. It didn't come on the telly here. <clears throat> just wanted to just wanted to raise with you that he he's that's not a direct quote, but he said the uh, there is little or no chance of constitutional litigation, Jack, if uh, the yes vote proposition got up. Uh, plenty of plenty of lawyers around um, uh, Australia who would disagree with that very strongly. Oh, I think that's now three three former High Court justices, including French, who's the former Chief Justice, uh, the Solicitor General. Uh, I think basically the preponderance of uh, uh, senior repu- reputations in the legal fraternity would tell you that uh, uh, there is, uh, like French said, little or no um, uh, chance of. Uh, constitutional litigation going forward, Jack. Uh, anybody who tells you they know for sure what's going to happen in a high court um, uh, case uh, is, well, is pulling let, 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 let's, let's be honest. If we're going to listen to one person, Jack, we're going to listen to a former Chief Justice of the High Court, aren't we? I mean, um, <laughs> I mean no, know, no more I than mean, we listen I, to he's, he's, he's not the Pope. He's not infallible. But this is a person who has got constitutional law running through his veins. I mean, we, we should be sitting up and we should be listening. 
one of, the, one of the good things about our High Court, unlike, say, the Supreme Court in the United States, is that we have term limits. We have a, a retirement age. The age is statutory senility. Um, that means the court's always changing. Um, and frankly, I don't think it's the least bit convincing to roll out a couple of ex-chief justices and say they know what the future court's going to do. But they're going to. <laughs> they're going to. They're going to have. I mean, it's, it, 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 they're going to have. It is perhaps the best expert opinion you can get. I mean, you, you can't disagree with that. I mean, I, I saw Janet Elbrexen quoting from some um, constitutional law professor. Now, again, expert, um, but not as expert as those who have, for the best part of 20 years, been sitting on constitutional matters before them. Mm, yeah, well, I don't, I don't agree with him, and there's plenty of lawyers who agree with me. Yeah, about that, the, the, so. I mean, I think that's the whole point of lawyers and lawyering, yeah. isn't it? That, that, that there's always going to be disagreement, but we should be listening to those people who are uh, who, who have a certain level of expertise uh, that uh, hard earned, uh, in, including being a chief justice of the of the of the high court. I think that's fairly straightforward. Mm. Yeah, um, this is going to lose for a few different reasons. Um, it's not going to win or lose on what Robert, Robert French has got to say, with all due respect to him. I understand that, but you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. You try it's to it's one it. more opinion that's out there. No one's ignoring it. I'm just saying it's not no, going to determine the outcome it. of the... You did ignore it. I mean, I've got a script here that you prepared that didn't, in, that didn't indicate uh, or, or had no uh, mention of a former Chief Justice of the High Court saying that there was a little or no chance of constitutional litigation around the voice. I wasn't proposing to discuss it today because he said that six months ago and I didn't think and it had any effect on the result last and week. it hasn't. Um, and uh, and so we have now, what, I think it's three, two, two former Chief Justices plus a third Justice of the High Court plus the Solicitor General, Jack. So those are important um, important matters, or those are important views for people to take into consideration, and not yeah, to be well, just swept um, aside. If you don't um, mind, thanks. Very people much. will make up their own minds about this. People will make up their own minds, but this is not Pol Pot's, you know, Campuchia or Khmer, Khmer Rouge. I mean, you know, we, we, we don't listen. We shouldn't be listening to people who have no particular expertise. And that's, that's my point. I mean, the point is listen to experts, make your own mind up by all means, but don't dismiss the experts as just another voice that's, um, I, that's, or another opinion. That's um, I'm, I'm prepared to trust in the common sense of the, of, of the wider community much more than I am to trust experts. Well, what's the point of being an expert, Jack? You know, then we do. Then we do really have Pol Pot's Campuchia, where where the dumb float to the top, where the dumb, no, the uneducated, Pol the illiterate um, uh, become start running the state. Uh, Pol Pot's regime wasn't run by the dumb and the illiterate. It was run by people who were educated in France, in Paris. It was run by the, it was run by the educated experts, and that's how badly it went. That's what you're saying, historically incorrect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know about Salazar. Educated in Paris, was he? Yep. Was he? You sure? Yes. Um, I'll go through. I'll get, I'll, I'll get, we'll get back to that, and we'll go through the sort of leading cadres in the Khmer Rouge and find out how many of them were educated in France. Almost, we'll all, almost all of the... Almost all, all now. All, not just in all. Cambodia, but right through, right through into China. The people who led those regimes had been educated elsewhere. Yeah, 
But what was the fundamental basis of the Khmer Rouge, Jack? That and was the, the ideas, didn't, the ideas didn't come from a, the a, ideas a, didn't come from within the Cambodian people. They came from the top. Yeah, but what we're saying is that the regime itself said, if you had a particular form of expertise, you were a danger. If you had any particular form of training, you were a danger. If you spoke yeah. another language, you were a danger. Yeah, yeah. All right, now we want to talk about misinformation. We want to talk about misinformation, Jack. We've just been talking about a little bit of it. Um, <clears throat> would the misinformation laws have helped the yes case? I don't think that they would have. That's my personal view. Paul Karp from uh, The Guardian uh, says, the voice referendum may be the last time we vote under the old rules where lies are legal and there's no break on big money. That's a lovely optimistic view of the world. I'm not sure that that's the way it works. Um, where have where has the misinformation come from, Jack? See if you can identify it from the no case. Um, I'm not sure what you're talking about misinformation. W what are you identifying as misinformation? Well, misinformation is, is is promoting something that is false. Disinformation is promoting something that is knowingly false. That you're promoting it knowing that you are knowing yeah. that it is that it's and, false. And, and, and which bits of the no or yes campaign are you identifying as misinformation? Well, I'm asking. I'm asking you. Um, no, I just think it's been a, a, a fairly typical Australian referendum campaign, fairly robust um, uh, and unremarkable. Uh, yeah, I think we can look at certain arguments and say, well. You know that's a bit that's a stretch, um, but I don't know that misinformation laws would have helped at all, uh, because really you've got people expressing opinions and often in a robust way. Um, Jacinda Price's comment that um, uh, the arrival of uh, European contact in the form of uh, Arthur Philip and uh, and the first fleet. Um, was actually um, uh, provided uh, Indigenous Australians with a profound benefit. Now, yeah, it, it's it's arguable. Um, it's not. I would it's, it's just an opinion. I, I would suggest it's not misinformation. Um, and 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 it, and it, there's certainly a there's certainly a, a view that you could take um, uh, on either sides of that either side of that argument. But it's not misinformation per se. And furthermore. The sort of laws that we have now, or that might be coming in future, in regard to elections and referenda, uh, are not going to change things one iota. A, a, a lot of what on Twitter is called misinformation um, from either side uh, are really just predictions and opinions, um, and people are entitled to have opinions and people are entitled to make predictions. But they're not always going to be right, but people are entitled to make them. Yeah, look, the example that's been used is a, is a Palmer advertisement, Clive Palmer. Perhaps we should just legislate Clive Palmer out of the uh, out of the equation, Jack. That, that'd be easy enough. Clive Palmer, nowhere near elections, please. Um, but uh, uh, The Guardian picked up on that, and there's a Palmer ad claiming that the voice will lead to higher taxes. Hard to see how that would happen, uh, firstly. So it's if it, if it is misinformation, it is stuff that anyone with half a brain and be able to figure out. Well, um, it's, it's, it's just a prediction and an opinion. He's perfectly entitled to make it. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, and, and people are entitled to say, well, hang on, that's just completely yes. wrong. I it's, did notice that's that... That's exactly Clive, how it's supposed to work. 
He's entitled to say it, and someone yeah. else is allowed, allowed to come out and say, look, you're wrong. Clive Palmer and uh, his mate, his little buddy that he's bought and paid for there, Ralphie Babbitt in the Senate, they got rolled in the High Court today. Um, they had challenged this idea of ticks and crosses, Jack, um, that, they, that, that's, that they thought that the tick should also be informal uh, and got rolled in the High Court uh, with an order that they pay costs. Won't hurt uh, Clive too much, but... Uh, Makes uh, Ralph Babbitt look a bit silly. Uh, hasn't mentioned it today uh, in his Twitter feed. I noticed uh, Ralphie Babbitt, um, but was babbling today about how the world needs Trump more than ever now. Um, so that's probably misinformation, Jack. But again, you could stand up and argue and say, well, you know, the guy's facing 91 criminal indictments. Um, probably, uh, probably not the guy you need right now. But. Um, uh, but that's again, you 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 just you just fight that with facts rather than rather than deal with it as misinformation. Where I believe disinformation is a real problem, and we're about to see, and we haven't we won't, we haven't addressed it yet. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto it in a little bit. But uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. has announced uh, an independent run uh, as uh, as uh, in the presidential campaign next year. Um, he is a man who spreads disinformation. And that's that's a problem I've got. I mean, this is you know he, he claimed he was misquoted, but I've read the quote, and it's very clear that the um, uh, that the uh, uh, COVID vaccines, uh, well, no, that, sorry, COVID itself was engineered not to affect um, people in China, Chinese people, and also European Jews. Mm. So um, that's the sort of stuff uh, we need to knock over rather than the expression of, of opinions, which might be stupid and wrong, but uh, they are just opinions. Yeah, so, so far as I'm concerned, um, the, uh, there's been some nasty stuff said in, in, in the referendum random campaign right across the board, um, and that's unfortunate, but mm. generally speaking, um, the campaign has been okay. It's just been robust and vigorous, and that's how it should be. What about Lydia Thorpe, Jack? And I'm not talk to, I'm talking about disinfo or misinfo at the moment. Um, what about Lydia Thorpe when she came out last week and blaming Anthony Albanese for the fact that hard right extremists, neo Nazis, and others had, had made threats to her in some appalling video that I haven't seen and wouldn't look at? Um, and she blamed Anthony Albanese for all of this. Uh, that's an opinion as well. Well, it's an it's definitely an opinion, but it's yeah. an opinion coming from, and people really should understand the context of this, that the black group, no C in black, that she purports to represent had decided in the week before the referendum voting or the polls open uh, that they were actually flipping and going to vote yes. Uh, and um, and that, meant, that left uh, Lydia Thorpe Shall we say struggling, struggling for uh, for for a constituency, uh, and uh, and when you're struggling for a constituency and you are a so shall we say a populist a, a, a politician, then the first thing you start doing is making the most outrageous remarks in the hope that you'll get reported. Um, I Would guess that that's be a reasonable understanding of her motives, Jack. Uh, well, it could be always hard to pick people's motives from the outside, but. Um, uh, she only ever ever had niche support, and it looks it's looking like it's becoming a little bit too niche. 
Um, um, none of this has much to do with uh, the referendum. The referendum has been lost in the middle. 40% of Labor voters are going to vote against the government's proposal. Polling, that tells yeah. you all you need to know about the voice. The government got the process and the proposal wrong. They can't even persuade 40% of their people to vote for it. Mm. But they, can, they can just get you a majority within their own voters. Um, and that, that means where does the blame lie for the referendum failure? It goes right to the top. It yeah. goes right to the yeah. Prime Minister and the I, Governor. I had a bit of a chat, a bit of a Zoom chat with uh, some uh, some colleagues and friends and things, and that was the general view, that as a sales exercise, as a marketing exercise, this has been a failure from the top down. Oh, no, that, that's not quite right. It's not just been a failure as a marketing exercise. The proposal that they put was a proposal that was never going to get majority support. People haven't, um, the 40% of Labor voters are not um, voting no because the marketing campaign was bad. They're voting no because they don't like the proposal. Well, I'm not so sure you can say that. I mean, you know, without having counted a vote yet, it's... Uh it's uh, a, 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 a big statement. I think there is a lot of, there is not not so much misinformation, but there is, you know, if you don't understand it, vote no. Um, that's uh, That's been a, a campaign slogan for the no case. So there, there is, there has been really, very rarely poor uh, selling of this idea of why it's necessary and why this, why this is, why this proposal is the is the best way forward. Personally, I think, like uh, Shorten in 2019, perhaps they should have created the voice, legislated around it, and then bedded it down, knocked out, knocked out the kinks, and uh, and uh, and gone to the people. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps a, a few years down the track, once it had been uh, once it had been established, that's my personal view. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I don't accept that the proposal itself is is wrong or or broken. I just think that the marketing was wrong, um, and they failed to bring Australians along with them. It's not once you see, once you see the proposal, there's nothing particularly. I mean, you said this was going to be a chapter in the in the Constitution, Jack. I mean, you mentioned that last week as a question that was put to your head. Why would it be a chapter? Because that, that, that's how it's designed. It's, 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 it, 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 it has its own chapter. If it goes through, that's what would happen. It would have its own chapter in the Constitution. Well, I, I find that almost impossible to understand. The, 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 the legislation itself, the only piece of legislation around the voice that has gone through the parliament is the referendum question itself. So in terms of how uh, the black letter law stacks up, that is a matter for, par for the parliament post-referendum. And no. at this stage, there is no draft legislation that would indicate it has its own chapter or it doesn't. No, no, no. We can come to that back to the, back to this next week, if you like, after it's filed. But what what the legislation does is create a new section under a new chapter in the constitution. Well, I'm not sure that that's the case. Um, I'm not sure that, that that's the case, but we will talk about it next week in detail when we have the results before us. Meanwhile, Jack, the Commonwealth Games fiasco is not going away with the uh, minister, uh, relevant minister, um, and now, uh, now Premier uh, uh, Jacinta Allen, um, having a fair amount of knowledge uh, on... Um, 
how badly things were and still talking it up. Yeah, um, uh, and it's amazing how much money they've spent um, uh, in the meantime to, to, to no effect. Um, there was a $40 million blowout um, and cries for more money that were met, even though this looked to be an absolute disaster. I'll just run through it uh, for our listeners' benefit. Um, the documents, and this most of this has come from The Australian and John Ferguson and... Uh, um, uh, and, and the Melbourne office leading the way there. Um, uh, documents show that among the expenditure was a $372,000 bill for consultation with traditional owners on design of villages and venues. Now, you might think that's appropriate, but all of this has happened, you know, once things start, once the wheels started falling off. In addition to a $21 million, to, to, to the $21 million, the government documents show another $19 million was sent in preparing venues for the regional games that were axed by Mr Andrews in July. The $40 million blowout follows the release of figures on Tuesday showing that Victorian taxpayers have been stung with a $1.3 million bill for lawyers who negotiated the $380 million uh, compensation to the Commonwealth Games. Um, uh, and uh, the figures show the isn't, high And isn't that a good thing? Our oh, lawyers again, Jack. Jesus Christ, look a guild, you know. Um, you, know you know, you've got to kick the door down. But, yes, I mean, uh, that's a $1.3 million bill for lawyers. Barely put the kids through private school, Jack. Uh, it's, the, it's those good people at Arnold, Block and Liebler, uh, and they wouldn't charge you too much, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure they don't. Um, but all of this, the point is that all of this was... All of this funding came through. I mean, we, you would understand that lawyers who conducted the negotiations with um, the Commonwealth Games Association in terms of getting um, in terms of getting uh, a, a, a compensation deal through, you would understand that they would need to be paid. But there's a lot of other spending that's occurred when clearly there had been um, a very tepid response from government. And, which ultimately would veer to the cancellation of the games. Um, how much is this going to affect Jacinda Allen's premiership, Jack? It's, it's, it's a question of how much was continued to being spent yeah, when it was clear they weren't going ahead. Yeah, that's what I mean. Mm. Um, uh, and how much will that affect her? Well, not too much. Um, uh, you know, she, was, she had her hands all over it, but um, the reality was that decision not to proceed was probably being made in the central Dan's office. Um, uh, where, every, where every big decision seemed to be made, um, uh, and she probably probably was kept out of the conversation. You reckon? Mm. That'd be pretty good. That'd be a pretty good out for her, though, Jack. Should she yeah, blame Dan? In the event of emergency, break glass, uh, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and, and pour a bucket on Dan and move on. Yeah, well, that's that's politics. All right. There's yeah. there's nothing more ex than an ex prime minister, an ex politician. Just before we leave this, can I just clear this up for you? This yeah. is from Reconciliation Australia. The new chapter and section to be added to the Constitution are Chapter 9, Recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander People, Section 129, and it goes on to list, list the section. So, so yes, the, the, indeed. Sorry, so who, who, who says that? Reconciliation Australia? Yeah, but they're not parliamentarians, Jack. Uh, but but, but that, that's what I was found in the two <laughs> seconds. They're not parliamentarians, Google, mate. They don't get to vote on the legislation. They're suggesting that's, this is this is the model we would like. And you may well be right, but that's not necessarily the case. That's now, what's they in the legislation. They are not parliamentarians. They do not get to vote on the on the black letter law. 
Yeah, chapter chapter nine of the Constitution. It would be. It well, won't be, but that's it be. that ain't necessarily it. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll keep going. Uh, we will have a we'll have a further blue about this next week. But uh, in the meantime, we have to uh, uh, calm and order has been restored across the um, uh, across the Bass Strait. Uh, the Tasmanian government will remain in power for now uh, after former Attorney-General Elise Archer uh, has uh, now confirmed she will quit the parliament and uh, uh, ending a standoff uh, with Premier Jeremy Rockliffe and avoiding the threat of an early election, which they probably win anyway. Um, interestingly, Jack, just as an aside, uh, Tasmania is the only state with a majority of yes voters, and it's actually like 58 um, so with the majority of? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, voters on polling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's the only state uh, with, a, with a clear majority. Um, uh, I, I, I might add, though, that's, um, uh, that is the, the least likely to be an accurate poll because of the smaller numbers and the smaller sampling. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see next week. But uh, I think it was 58. 58, yes, it might have been 56. Um, only state showing uh, in favour in polling. But... Um, uh, Archer has gone. Uh, she's uh, moved along. Was a deal done, Jack? Um, it, it's hard to know from the outside whether a deal was done or she just said, this is all too hard and I can't be bothered anymore. Yes, a bit of that, a bit of that in there too. Um, I, I, I strongly suspect that's the case. And given the toxic relationship between her and Rockcliffe, um, um, uh, then... Uh, it would be very unlikely that they'd both appear in the same room, Jack. Uh, yeah, and uh, Tasmanian politics is is micro politics, really. It's sort of a bit like the local school board, or you know, um, uh, you know a, a fight in the committee of the football club. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Rockliffe survives. It, it, I would also say that the way their electoral system works is you would need profound support for Labor. Uh, for Rockliffe to be knocked off, and I don't see them being ready to uh, ready to, uh, to, uh, to to enter government at the moment, uh, just on on the last state election results. What is it? Uh, they call it the Hare Clark system, isn't it? They, like the five federal elector- electorates are used, and they each elect five state parliamentarians. I think this is my recollection. Right. Most are overrepresented. Uh, people on earth, uh, they must be anyway. I mean, I, I would accept Bhutan as an uh, as an alternate answer, but uh, when you think about local government, state government, and federal government, pretty much uh, everyone's got their own local member, one way or another. Yeah, I, I mean, it was um, a joke I used to have with uh, um, a person who later became prime minister that the ideal job would be to be a state upper house member in Tasmania. All righty, uh, we're going to deal with the whole issue of working from home, which is a very uh, very middle-class thing to do these days. Um, uh, we're going to deal with that all next week, but we do want to very quickly move on to the immigration changes, Jack. Um, we talked, we've talked about this a bit. Uh, that's your particular area of expertise and not mine, so we'll lead you, we'll lead you off there. Um, they're doing a number of things in immigration because you know, uh, the visa system generally needs tidying up from time to time and they're going through that. But they've got a particular problem with around about 100,000 uh, people going through the asylum seeker process in Australia. They're either um, 
uh, be waiting for a decision by the department or they've appealed that decision to the AAT or they've gone to the courts. And so 100,000 is a lot of people to have in, in yeah. that category. Um, and uh, that's led to long delays. Um, uh, you know, if you went all the way to the courts, you might be nine somewhere between five and 11 years waiting for a decision, yeah. in which case you can stay in Australia while you'll get some kind of a bridging visa, maybe with the work rights, maybe with not, but you'll get some kind of bridging visa rights and you'll be able to stay in the country. So the government said, well, we're going to have to do something about that. So they've tipped in a lot of money. I think it's about $160 million, um, uh, another $50 million for home affairs to speed up the processing of these claims. Yeah. Uh, 58 million for 10 new members of the AAT. Oh, um, to, to Jack, you. put your resume in. Uh, I think I'm too old now. Uh, uh, and, I, and I've done my 10 years doing that, so I don't want to go back and do it again. And, uh, and, and also for 10 new judges for the Federal Circuit and Family Court as well. And they are going to do what they call real-time processing um, uh, and, and a, a last-in, first-out approach, which means what you do is if you apply for a protection visa tomorrow, they'll deal with your case straight away. Um, that And the hope with that is, and it generally works, is that discourages the new non-meritorious applicants. Um, it's... Uh, a lot of these applications are made by people who know they won't have any prospect or real prospect of success uh, and they do it so they can stay in the country. Um, and that's a problem for the people who have real applications because they have to wait in the line as well. So the, the way to fix that is to, is to triage them and treat them separately. Um, I can tell you after having spent 10 years doing this, one of the things that, would, that, that no one looks at but that would speed it up is just to dismiss applications where uh, applicants don't turn up for a hearing. Um, well, so, we, we talked about this, and I, I, I certainly don't want to blacken the name of genuine refugees, but we talked about this in regard to uh, Albanian um, uh, uh, emigres uh, coming, to, coming yeah. to this country, often with uh, false, uh, uh, false ID, false passports, etc., um, uh, even in indicating that they come from another country. Uh, then when they get rolled for that, they put in a, a claim for claim of protection and then it goes through the system. While it goes through the system, some of these people are out there committing very serious crimes um, and that's part of that whole organised syndicate's uh, methods and motives. They've, they've actually picked Australia as a location where they can drive through the gaps in, um, in, in immigration processes. Um, you suggested uh, one area would uh, one area where you can improve is to look at the recent applications and fast track those yeah. um, and perhaps leave the uh, leave the matters that are before the courts or the AAT um, let them go yes streamline them with a bit more money um, but also deal with deal with the the new applicants in a timely fashion yeah so if you if you if you know that you're going to have your application dealt with straight away you know you're not going to get the five or six or a ten years um, delay you're less likely to make the application so that's why you do it that way but one of the things that people from the outside don't understand is that 
um, uh, about half the applicants who go to the AAT seeking review of a, a refusal uh, won't bother to turn up for a hearing. Yeah, that's um, that should be enough, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it should be treated. You know, if you want to appeal a traffic fine and you go to your local magistrate's court and you don't turn up, well, he's just dismissed. Well, yeah, that's right. That's that, that's right. So um, uh, that is one method that you could do. I mean, you know, there, there may there may well be appeal against you know denial of natural justice and all that sort of stuff. But if if but, you've but, got but a you, fixed you, you date and fix you don't it. turn up for it, it should be enough. You, bet, you lose. Yeah, and you can fix the natural justice thing already. Um, or I think it still happens. It certainly used to happen in my day that applicants were told that they couldn't get a, that the the member wouldn't make a favourable decision on the information available. So they were invited to come to a hearing, right? So you just make that a little bit plainer and say you are going to lose if you don't turn up, and then you, then it's over in five minutes. Yeah, it makes a fair bit of sense. Um, uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, on, on a matter as, as urgent as this, you would understand that some people are uh, refugee applicants or um, seeking the extension of protection orders might um, uh, might uh, might have difficulty sometimes in terms of receiving correspondence and attending on time. Uh, that would be my only concern about that. But um, uh, provided there was an understanding that... Uh, they had received and understood um, a, a direct a direction to attend a hearing and fail to appear. So it, as it stands, uh, Jack, and I'm talking about, if I talk about this in terms of the Albanian cr crime syndicates, if they don't turn up, the matter is simply just deferred. Is that right? The matter is simply... Simply deferred? Yes. Well, or or the, the member has to um, write a long um, a, a decision explaining why the application failed. Um, which slows down the whole process. Yeah, you right. want to speed the process up, mm -hmm. um, um, and you need to deal quickly with the non-meritorious claims that aren't really serious, that aren't really being pursued seriously by the applicants. So you say, if you don't turn up for the hearing, you're out. All right. Now, look, we've got a whole lot of stuff to get through on the states here, Jack. Firstly, um, uh, they are speakerless at the moment after uh, Kevin McCarthy got the flick. Uh, got the flick by, I think, about 10 what we might call fringe Republicans, lunatic, lunatic Republicans, and the rest of them were Democrat voters, which is one of those things that was uh, roughly overlooked. Uh, it would seem that Jim Jordan is in, uh, in pole position to take, on the, to take on the speakership, Jack. Uh, it looks a, a bit like that. Um, these, <laughs> this kind of horse trading is never exactly predictable. Jim's got uh, quite a few problems along the January 6th line too, Jack. Uh, there's some suggestion, suggestion, I would underline, accusation if you like, that he was directing people who were uh, seeking to illegally enter uh, uh, the Congress um, and uh, directing people into the right offices. That's an allegation. Um, so he's got, some, he's got some dirt in his hands. Yeah, well, we'll have to, have to see how it plays out. Now, tell me, who's third in line for the presidency now? Now, now that we well, don't a have a speaker, good, it's a very good question. Would that be? Would that be the president of the Senate? Well, would that be the leading senator? Well, the, the president the of the Senate is the vice president Kamala Harris, um, uh, uh, but the person who's third in line is a woman called Patty Murray, 
Um, uh, she's the what's called the president pro tem of the, um, of uh-huh. the Senate. Yeah. Um, so she stands in for Harris um, uh, when Harris, as is usual, isn't in the Senate. Um, uh, and the pro tem job generally goes to the senior um, senator from the uh, the ruling party, and that's where Patty Murray is. She's a senator from the state of Washington. I think she's been there since about 1996 or 1993 or something. Um, a former just, ex- just explain to our audience what the term pro tem means. It means essentially right. temporary, doesn't it? But yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and also, the Biden administration has swept aside a number of environmental laws in order to build a bit of a section of the wall, Jack. Uh, so it would seem. Um, I, I would just simply remind people that. Uh, that walls may be built, but the the mortal enemy of the wall is the ladder. And, um, and <laughs> once you build walls, and we, we don't have to go back, we, well, we can go back as far as Genghis Khan, uh, walls don't uh, matter all that much uh, when you have an intent to get across. Um, but we are seeing a bit more rise uh, of, the, um, uh, of uh, Gavin Newsom, Jack, uh, really... Uh, um, uh, is he is he putting his credentials forward as the alternate as the alternate candidate? Absolutely, he seems to be, doesn't he? And speaking of which, when we mentioned this earlier in the program, we've got Bobby Kennedy Jr., famous anti-vaxxer, absolute clown, and he's uh, bobbed up in uh, in Philly uh, this morning, our time as we record this on the tenth of October and uh, announced himself as an independent candidate. Very quickly, Jack, is he going to take votes from the Dems or are he going to take votes from the Republicans? Um, that's a little bit hard to say. Um, I don't know whether you saw it, but he did the rocky thing of running up the steps of the... Uh, did he? Uh, He's uh, just yeah. a wanker, isn't he? He's just yeah. a fabulous yeah. wanker. Uh, um, I, I, I suppose that's just kind of say, well, I'm not like Joe or Dottery or, 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 or either of the big candidates. I'm not a Dottery old bloke. I'm young and fit, you know. Mm. Um, but it looks, it just looks pathetic to me. Um, I didn't see that. It just sounds really cringeworthy. But um, I, I, I just, I just wonder he, where his money's going to come from. He didn't have from. the hoodie on. He, he's just in jeans and a t-shirt. But well, it looked I, bad I, I would demand that he drink a dozen eggs, um, uh, a la Rocky, before he did it too. If he's going to be serious about it, um, uh, where's his money going to come from, Jack? I mean, he's, he's a candidate, so he's got a few bob. But where's the sort of the millions that you need going to come from? Is it going to come from the fringe right? Is it going to come from the left? Uh, I think he would get a bit of support from both of the fringe areas. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, look, he, he's polling around about 15%. It was sort of said between 10 and 20. He hasn't been up at, I think, in, initially in the first month or two when he announced his candidacy in the, in the, in the Democratic primary, it was decided... Um, that, that, that he was getting sort of 18s at that stage. Now he's sort of closer to 10, sort of in the 14, 15 mark uh, and, uh, and dropping off. Um, he's got so much stuff. Um, that you, you don't, need, don't need to dig deep to, to find his, uh, his nonsense being swirled about. But it's going to make it very, very interesting. You are going to have that third candidate in the presidential race now and an independent. Uh, and, well, you always get plenty of them, don't you? You get what they call mailing candidates and you only get about 20 of them. Uh, but he will be a candidate on the ballot. Yeah. Um, uh, 
I think he wouldn't have a, any prospect of success. I suspect he wouldn't be a candidate if the Democrats had a stronger stronger candidate. All right. Um, so, Gavin, so, and Gavin Newsom seems to have positioned himself as the only viable alternative to, to Biden. Um, I think no one's taken Kamala Harris as a serious possibility. So Newsom seems to have done a fairly good job of positioning himself um, as, well, I'm the alternative. Yeah, two California Democrats, of course, they're always problems trying to win over Democrat voters and independent voters in Midwestern states who tend to look at the Californians as freaks and hippies. Um, in Sweden, Jack, uh, Sweden's Prime Minister said that he summoned the head of the military to discuss how the armed forces can help police deal with an unprecedented crime wave that has shocked the country with almost daily shootings and bombings. What's going on there? Um, they have a, a, a gang problem. A gang problem? A very serious gang problem. That the, uh, most of the shootings, and they are the only country in the world, I think, that has uh, keeps stats on grenade killings. Yeah. It's a funny thing. It's just actually the UK, but I did see someone interviewed. I mean, basically, he's been arrested and was was being filmed by body cam. And he goes, you know, what do you, what do you got? What have you got a weapon on? He goes, yeah, I've got a gun and a hand grenade. And it was in London. Um, so obviously, I'm not laughing. It's just a, just a extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, obviously, uh, these uh, that's the sort of Bunnings kit for your for your, for your crime gangs now in, in Europe. Um, um, yeah, the specific problem in 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 Sweden is um, uh, with unintegrated um, Middle Eastern migrants. Well, Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson. Uh, uh, has said Sweden has never before seen anything like this. No other country in Europe is seeing anything like this. So what's different about Sweden as, as let's say, you know, compared to Germany, Jack? Um, the, the Germans have got their own problems with their migrants. We spoke about this last week, but it's much, much worse in, in, in Switzerland. They've but got why? Why would it be worse there? Because they're even less integrated. More than 60 people died in shootings last year in Sweden, the highest figure on record. <laughs> that's, that's a good day in Chicago, Jack. Um, uh, <clears throat> but those are significant figures. I shouldn't be laughing about uh, that sort of appalling violence. Um, Sweden long it's, stood it's out significant in Europe. Enough, it's significant enough for the Swedish government to, to call in the army for assistance. Call that's in the true. army. And that's, I mean, one that says... The problem with that is that that it's saying to the police, "You're no good," and that's that's a problem. It's a yep. loss of confidence in your policing forces, uh, and also uh, it's probably a little bit of overkill. Um, you need you need to give you need to have a lot of police, and you need to have them smart. And you need to use them, uh, you know, in in, in surveillance uh, and uh, and make arrests and bring people before the courts. And you need to do something about um, uh, the large number of unintegrated uh, migrants. You've got to find a way to make them Swedish. The scale of immigration to the country, which soared in the wake of the 2015 migrant crisis, Syrian civil war, has meant that now at least one-fifth of Sweden's population are foreigners. Nothing wrong with that. But that's as, a, that's a, as, that's as a, Jack suggests, uh, if you don't, plan on integrating people into your own society, then you are going to leave a lot of people isolated, uh, feeling that they are uh, uh, not properly represented in the political sphere, and, um, 
and uh, and, and you, you'll leave them resentful and, and angry, and then wanting to make a quid by uh, unlawful means. Um, they're not integrated in the economy. They're not working. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's that's part part so of that. It's, whole it's not that they're resentful. Process. They have nothing else to do but um, to, to, to indulge in, in, in illegal activities, really. I mean, well, they, why don't they, the Danes and the Norwegians have these same problems, Jack? Well, because they, because they slowed down the rate of, um, uh, of immigration. All right. Well, um, uh, just finally, while we stay in Europe, Germany, Germany's cabinet uh, has approved uh, putting on reserve lignite-fired power Plants back online from October until the end of March 2024. Uh, so I don't think they've come online yet, Jack. But they're 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 basically sitting on the bench on the pine, waiting to be called on if needed. Waiting for the cold weather. Yeah, and uh, and so lignite, just for the benefit of our listeners, Jack, is pretty ugly brown coal that that that. Uh, it burns slowly and pollutes heavily. I think their lignite's even worse than the, um, uh, the, yeah. the Latrobe Valley barren coal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You set fire to it and it just smoulders forever. You might remember the fires during the bush, uh, bushfire disasters that we had that uh, one of the brown, well, the the the, 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 uh, the brown coal open cut mine in Yalorn burnt and it, it burnt for about four months. All right, moving on to Any, sport. Any, anybody who's ever fed a brickhead heater will, can tell you how good they are. Oh, this is this, this is really ugly, mate. It, it burnt, literally burnt for weeks and months, um, and uh, it was there was actually great concern about how to put it out. Um, uh, off to sport now, Jack. Uh, You've been watching any of the World Cup? I watched a bit of it. Um, I, I, I thought England were going pretty well um, uh, on the on the opening night, and I. Uh, didn't check the score until the end and realised the Kiwis had, um, I caps. think they'd gone mm. up with about eight overs to spare, hadn't they? Uh, yeah, and nine wickets in hand. Um, uh, very, very good effort. I, look, I, I watched that I watched that game closely and uh, I just didn't think England had made enough. Um, Stokes didn't play, of course. Um, um, but... Um, uh, <coughs> um, yeah, that. But the uh, the, young the real, the real young gun that, to keep an eye on is Russian Ravindra, uh, the young chap the, from from New Zealand. Yeah, yes, he he put on gee, was, you know best part of two hundred and forty um, uh, with uh, Devin Conway, uh, Devin Conway, South African New Zealander. Uh, he got one hundred and fifty odd, and uh, Ravindra got one hundred and thirty four. I think both not out. Um, and I've got to tell you, Jack, uh, when I saw uh, Ravindra, left-hander, uh, batting, I've got to tell you who reminded me of, a little bit of Brian Lara, the big, expansive um, um, <coughs> backswing and uh, this great certainty of where he hit the ball. Very impressive-looking uh, player. I think he has played in Australia, came across the tour. It's still a very young man, but this was his World Cup debut against England and absolutely spanked him. Got 50 uh, against uh, against the Netherlands last night and a fairly easy win for the Black Caps. Uh, I've seen a number of interviews with uh, some of the, the key players in the tournament uh, and they've all been asked who will be their top four. So we don't have a group thing in the in the ODI World Cup 
Uh, there are 10 sides. They all play each other once. And if you finish in the top four, you go through to the semis. People were saying India, which is right. Australia, well, we'll see. Uh, uh, England, we'll see. Uh, no one had mentioned New Zealand. Um, uh, and I think... Uh, I think uh, they go pretty well. They always seem to get under the get under the radar, uh, and uh, we'll see how they go. But they started the tournament really well. Australia being beaten by India, who do look a cut above, certainly on the Chennai wicket, um, and uh, they had uh, the great rock star of world cricket, uh, uh, Jadeja, uh, man with the best hair in cricket, by the way, too, uh, who uh, ripped into the Australian middle order and just made them look really, really ordinary. So, lots, long time to go in that one. Uh, meanwhile, Jack, hurrah, Portugal won. Um, beat Fiji, but not by enough. So, the Australians, the Wallabies are coming home. Um, great effort from, from Portugal. They scored late, and um, so there wouldn't have been any sense that Australia could somehow survive in the competition. But um, a great little, great little win, nevertheless. The Fijians and the Welsh will go through. A uh, very intriguing uh, contest coming up between Ireland uh, and uh, and the All Blacks. And she's on form. You'd have to go with the Irish, who haven't put a foot wrong in this tournament. Uh, the Irish will start favourites in that. Yeah, they, they will be favourites. Um, so we'll see that, how they get on. We're we're into the um, we're into the uh, knockout stage of the competition now. Um, and uh, Ireland really, as I say, haven't put a foot wrong. Neither are the French. And, and the ABs haven't either. Neither are South Africa. Um, and there are plenty of other sides still in it. But those four sides look to me to be the, the ones who'll be thereabouts. Um, and, uh, and we've also had a fair bit of uh, one-day cricket. Did you see uh, Jake McGurk? Uh, he's got the hyphenated name. Um, the century uh, in 29 balls. Yes, and the world has come <laughs> uh, uh, beating to his door. There's, you know, there's always that interest. Jake Fraser McGurk, I do apologise uh, to our listeners uh, for being slow on that. Um, he's playing for South Australia. He was offered a sort of rookie contract with Victoria, but he's offered two years, two-year deal at South Australia. So easy, easy, uh, easy decision for him to make. Um, and then just just spank the ball. I think he hit the first ball. He faced for six. Uh, <coughs> we've seen him a lot. <coughs> excuse me, in the big bash, where he hasn't set the world on fire, but he's one of these guys that uh, if he has a day out, it's spectacular. So that is the. I think that's the fastest century on record, Jack, at, the, at that at first class or higher level. It's the first one to go under thirty. Balls. Yeah. Um, there's some pretty good company there too um, that uh, that he took to the cleaners. So uh, well done, that man. Um, uh, <coughs> uh, what do you got for us in racing, Jack? Uh, big day on uh, last Saturday, Turnbull Stakes Day. Um, uh, it's uh, it's the day where you find your winners for the rest of the spring. Um, and the most impressive winner was Gold Trip, the last Melbourne Cup winner. Uh, won the Turnbull Stakes and he won it in such a way that you would think he would win a cox plate on that. Um, uh, he was always thought to be a doer stayer, but it was a sparkling performance. And I noticed that Mark Zara, his jockey, has taken another ride in the Caulfield Cup, which suggests that Gold Trip will go to the cox plate and then to the Melbourne Cup. Would seem so, wouldn't it? Uh, if he's jumped off it, and because it. <laughs> by by the sense of things, would go very very well in the Caulfield Cup. Whatever, whatever happened to the 
It's only ever been done before the trifecta, Jack, the triple crown. Um, yeah. Um, uh, they don't normally, they, they don't race anywhere near as often. I mean, far that one four times on Cup Week. They don't race them like that anymore. Yeah. Well, the last one to do the, well, the only one to do the, the, the triple crown is rising fast, Jack. Uh, and yeah. the triple crown is the Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate, Melbourne Cup. And, uh, and uh, he managed to do that. I think about nineteen fifty-three. No one's done it be- done it uh, before or since. What about the Everest, Jack? That's the biggest prize money in uh, in Australian racing by some considerable margin. Now, twenty million dollar race, Jack. Yeah, um, it, it, I've got to say, as a field, it doesn't look as strong as the fields have been for the, the previous Everests. So explain to me what the Everest is, Jack. That is still to our listeners. They, um, uh, the, I think there are 12, is it 12, 12 uh, slot holders? Yes. Uh, people, people purchase the, the right to have a runner um, and then they negotiate with the owner of a horse um, to, to put that, that horse in their slot. Um, and then they come to an arrangement as to who gets what share of the prize money, and we don't really know the answer to that. Um, Twenty million dollars. Uh, so, You've got a fair bit to, bit to say, but what's what's the race run over? What's the distance? It's a, it's a six furlong race, twelve hundred metres at, at Randwick. So sprinters, um, and, it, and it attracts huge crowds. Um, a lot of lots and lots of young people, and there's lots of talk in the press about who's getting a slot and who's not getting a start. So that builds a bit of interest in it. It's a a creation of Peter Volandis, the bloke who runs um, uh, the NRL. Right, league, yeah. Um, and it and it's been on. People were. I was a bit skeptical about it when they first announced it, but got to take my hat off to him. It's it's a it's, it's a great success. Couple of Waterhouse uh, horses in there. Couple of gay sources, alcohol free. <laughs> Wouldn't be backing that, would you? And Hawaii Five O. Uh, who um, who yeah, do you like a- in it? About uh, 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 Hawaii Five O is a John Singleton um, uh, and uh, the bloke from uh, Harvey Norman um, uh, a horse. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, the one I kind of like is uh, is a uh, um, uh, so you think uh, a progeny. Think about it. Uh, think about it. it's Joe Pride. Joe Pride, the trainer. He's got a couple in. He got Private Eye in there as well. Yeah, um, and. Uh, well, it's a twelve hundred meter. We don't have the barrier draw yet, do we? Or do we? No, no, we don't. So you're gonna you're gonna need to know that if you're gonna have a punt on it. Uh, they run around the uh, wrong way in Randwick too, but um, but uh, you're gonna need to see where they are in a sprint. Uh, your barrier draw is very very important, uh, and that just about takes us out. Except we've got a couple of things there that have amused us during the week. Let me Give me the first one, Jack. We mentioned her a bit during the program, but we haven't had a good laugh at her yet. Yeah, uh, Kamala Harris. <laughs> uh, this was a, a comment on uh, from uh, a woman called Amy Elcon on Twitter. Uh, she's very pretty and extremely incoherent. She's the political version of Judith Butler, as in it sounds like she puts a lot of sound smart words in a paper bag, gives it a shake, and then says them in any, in the order they came out, and then does a reprise with a slight shift in wording, and and the responses were in pretty quick. Uh, if Kamala Harris was a white conservative guy, the media would be laughing nonstop at her, uh, and someone else says, "Yep." We've seen this movie before, and it was called Dan Quayle. That was moderately amusing. Duncan McNabb's an old is Duncan McNabb an old buddy of yours from the Duncan McNabb's a very Duncan McNabb's a very very good man, uh, ex uh, New South Wales police detective, uh, and has done some 
outstanding work uh, to basically uh, create or put pressure on a government to announce uh, a, a judicial inquiry into the gay bashings and murders that go back to the 70s and 80s in Sydney. Um, and God bless him for doing that. Um, it has led to one arrest. But anyway, Duncan was uh, waxing humorously. He was. Um, uh, this is Duncan, the glorious airplane or flying high movie. Great OJ line. Um, uh, I should comment about the movie. Although he actually improved with each film, his acting remained a lot like his murdering. He got away with it, but nobody really believed him. <laughs> that is OJ Simpson. Um, who, and, which... and can, I, can I just finish with a, a, a Philip Adams on Twitter? Um, uh, uh, and I follow Philip as it's always amusing. A public apologies from an idiot. Ever since the debate began, I have been um, predicting a, a triumphant victory for The Voice. Just as 59 years ago, I also believed a rational um, uh, world would unite to defeat global warming. That's not 1964, I can tell you. And there's a prize for anybody who can find a mention of global warming in 1964. Greenhouse effect, Ooh, probably not quite 1960s. All I can tell you, Jack, is uh, I've met the great man. He's actually a very lovely bloke at uh, at face-to-face uh, at, 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 at -face level and, and very generous, uh, very generous with his yeah, time. He's, and he's actually a lovely bloke, Philip Adams. He's I like a, him he's, a lot. I think he's a terrific fellow, but he might have been having a senior moment. He's yeah, getting, he up, in, he's he, getting he, up in the he, big He does openly express that he has the odd uh, a senior moment. Also wonderful from Duncan McNabb uh, raising the – the acting performances of uh, uh, O.J. Simpson um, acted like he murdered. Uh, <laughs> he got away with it, but nobody really believed him. And that takes us out for this weekend's, for this week's program, I should say. Listeners, thank you very much for your time. We did have a lot of feedback uh, from uh, last episode. We'll try and chuck that all in, a lot of it relating to The Voice. We'll try and chuck that all in. We had to get through so much this week. Um, that uh, we've had to uh, we've had to uh, uh, jettison various stories um, from around the world just to get in everything, you know, uh, particularly around Israel and Gaza. It uh, is just appalling there at the moment, and will be for a long time, as we've discussed. Um, but that don't let that uh, prevent you from getting in touch with us. Uh, I get a lot of uh, I get a lot of feedback on my uh, on my Twitter DMs. Please continue to provide them. Um, that's, that's at Jack the Insider. DMs always open on Twitter there, and uh, and you can get hold of Jack on his Substack, which is uh, Hong Kong Jack Jack there you go. And thanks for listening, listeners. And we'll be back with you next week with a summary of The Voice and the referendum. Cheers. And the start oh. of the blame. Oh, yeah, there'll be a lot of finger pointing going on. Don't worry about that. And I'll, I'll be pointing them right at you, Jack. Don't you worry <laughs> about that. You've just been negative on this from the outset. Um, all right. Uh, thank you, listeners. And we'll see you next week with that show.